Welcome to the Tough Love and Second Chances podcast. My name is Tony Bennett and it's my privilege to write, produce and share the remarkable stories of golfers who refuse to be defined by their disability. Frankly, what started out as a goal to relate the stories of a few golfers has become much more. It is said that everyone has a story and that is true. For several years I told the stories of golf professionals, how they became good players, great coaches and top club professionals. As enjoyable as this was, the words of my guests on Tough Love and Second Chances and found in the Edgar Profiles supported by Ping have helped me on a journey of discovery and all the while being a much needed look into the human spirit. The openness of my guests is what makes their stories powerful, frequently revealing examples of how hope, courage and the opportunity to express oneself through the game of golf makes for a combination that can improve and even save lives. Your emotions are all over the place. And all you've got to do is is step back from um, your emotions and just look at it and think, right. These are the words of Terry Kirby from Hull in England. His story is one that is all too common. But what's not common is how Terry has accepted the setbacks he's faced with a dry sense of humour and a commitment to make the best of his life. This is the story of Terry Kirby. Getting someone to hold and swing a golf club is the first step along a well-worn path to introducing golf. This step is commonly taken together with a friend or family member who already plays the game. It's at this moment that the holder of the club becomes a sampler. Just like the first taste of a new dish or reading the opening pages of a book, the first swings of the ball just sitting there on the ground can be the opening of a new interest or, well, let's not go there. Proud Yorkshireman Terry Kirby had his first experience of golf when childhood friend John Potter revealed that he'd started to play golf. At that time, Terry was playing rugby for the supporters club at his beloved Hull FC, a rugby league team that he'd followed since he can first remember. John told Terry that quite a few of the lads were going to the golf course on Saturday and he had some spare clubs from another friend who was away on holiday. Getting together with his mates was always appealing to Terry and so it was agreed. On the Friday before we played on the Saturday, I did go to the driving range and it just hit some balls. But went out on the golf course and it was... I don't know, you know when it's like you get that light bulb moment and when you've hit a couple of balls, you think, oh, ping, I like this. I do like this. Within an hour or so of finishing Saturday's round of golf, Terry was at the local golf shop getting himself a set of clubs. Terry was born in Hull, or when it's said in the local dialect, Hull. Dropping the H at the start of a word is considered normal in Yorkshire's East Riding. Hull was one of the gateways often used to travel to Europe. Rotterdam in Holland, even today, is still a popular route. But Terry's route, that was through the world of the military. I was uh, in the Royal Engineers, so we did um, a lot of, it was all bridge building, mine warfare. Um, when I did two tours of Northern Ireland, 
and I was there. We did the search teams for the bomb disposal. Already worldly at just 22 years of age, Terry got a dream posting to Cyprus. In the nine months that followed, Terry enjoyed the work and the island, until one day a motorcycle accident became a diversion in life's journey. Two broken legs were the result. And then Terry was shipped back to the UK for medical treatment. Just three years later, he left the army. Every accident, no matter how big or small, leaves a legacy. For Terry, the result was that he had one leg shorter than the other, and so he would use a raise in his shoe to level his hips, and so reduced a limp, which he'd learned to live with. It was an orthotic specialist that first questioned Terry on why one of his legs appeared to be weaker than the other. Terry had thought that perhaps he simply favoured one leg more, and so was not really concerned. Still, the orthotist arranged for Terry to have more investigation. Sent me to see a neurologist. He did a pinprick test. By now, Terry was 38 and so had been living with the trauma of his motorcycle accident for 15 years. He got used to the limp, a dropped foot, and some other small issues, but Terry's Yorkshire through and through. And folk from this part of the world tend to be pretty stoic. He'd simply got on with his life, his appointment with the neurologist came and it turned out to be a surprise for Terry. Uh, and there was areas on my body that I couldn't feel, which was really strange. So I said, I'd like to put you in for a, an MRI scan. The scan was scheduled for Friday morning and the results will be back that afternoon. It was strange because during the day, uh, I think they had the results a lot earlier than, than I got to find out because they did a... A nurse came in and took some blood and he said, oh, we just want to take a, a blood sample. Um, and then a guy came in with a cardiograph machine to test my heart. And, and I said, well, what, what's all this to do with? And he said, oh, it's just routine before an operation. I said, I don't know anything about an operation. So they, they discussed all the operation before I found out at 7 o'clock in the evening that I had a tumour a two-and-a-half-inch tumour on the inside of his spinal cord. It was all pretty matter-of-fact, even when he said that there was a 10% chance that he wouldn't walk again. An operation was arranged for the following Monday. So, with the weekend looming, Terry needed to organise some golf. The guy said, uh, you know, don't do anything physical or anything because now we've found that you've got it. We don't want anything to happen. So I rang my best mate up, told him about it, and uh, he said, um, well, uh, there's one good thing. And I've told him, like, they'll give me a 10% chance that I might not walk again. So I said, it's a, just a good job you didn't buy them new golf shoes then, isn't it? So I said, oh, yeah. It was time. Monday arrived. Terry made his way to the hospital and on arrival was admitted. It'd be several more weeks before he left again. It was Tuesday before gradually Terry came around from the operation, finding himself in the recovery ward. The doctors and nurses went about their daily business, doing their best to take care of the physical and psychological needs of their latest patient. Occasionally, Terry would ask about his prognosis. His questions were generally met with a stock answer, along the lines of it would take a couple of weeks before his body would settle down. And then would they know more about 
what was actually happening. I'd actually lost just feeling from just under me chest on the left side down to mid-calf. I'd, I still had feeling in my right leg, uh, but I'd just lost feeling in, in that side. I, I didn't have any physio or, or anything else, and I wasn't really moving around much. I just basically letting me let myself re- try and recuperate. So that, so after a fortnight, uh, I was waiting to see the the consultant and the, the, his two helpers or whatever the underlings came in. I said to these two guys, you know, so what's, what's my prognosis? And I'd not really moved off the bed or anything. And he said, this is it. This is how you'll be now. Their words were a hammer blow to Terry, who literally had hardly moved in two weeks. Would this be the future that he had to look forward to? The ward matron, Jana Anderson, could see the pain in Terry's eyes. The news had struck him really deeply. She took me into the, the gents' toilet. She said, right, have a cigarette. Because she could physically see I was upset. So I had a cigarette and she said, look, don't listen to what they've just told you. When the consultant comes in, Mr. Brockles comes in, we'll ask him. He checked me over and he said, one way or the other, he said, we'll get you walking out of here. And it was a, like a, a cloud had lifted up. Although Terry did leave the hospital using crutches, the cloud was soon back. And further checks and scans led to two more operations. I finished up eventually having three operations. The second operation took all feeling chest downwards. But it was, I could still stand, which was, it, it was all sort of like mind over matter. For me to stand up, it was like, and stand. Um, and then get in the crutches and, and walk. As soon as I came round from the second operation, the, they had, had to put some antibiotics injected uh, into my leg. So I said, which, which leg did you put that in? I, I have to say, I, I shed a couple of tears that uh, at that moment but after that I, I got back I was only in for two weeks that time and the, the third operation just took everything chest everything bladder bowels movement any any discernible movement life had to go on after all Terry had a wife and daughter and so it was straight back into family life for any patient with a spinal cord lesion regular physiotherapy sessions are vital the first 12 months are when the biggest gains can be made and it's likely that whatever sensations can be regained come back during this period. Motivation is essential at this stage and so finding something to hang on to can really make all the difference. One of the physios, she said, you know, what, what, what would you like to get back? You do when you... I said, I love my golf. I said, I really love playing golf. Just days later, the physio gave Terry a poster from the Humberside Disabled Sports Association. So she gave me this flyer and it said, Handy Golf Foundation, Taste the Day, um, Seated Golfing, um, in Scunthorpe. So I said, oh, smashing it. Terry took no time to pick up the phone and call the founder of the Handy Golf Foundation, Dr Andrew Greasley who explained that the next session was taking place on the other side of the Humber Estuary in Scunthorpe. 
Terry was in new territory. Playing from the seated position was totally different. But with the help of the Handy Golf Foundation and his boundless enthusiasm, he was soon sending the ball 130 yards or so down the fairway. Equipped with a new ride-on buggy from the Handy Golf Foundation, Terry was ready to play at his local golf club, Springhead Municipal Golf Course. Chances are good that nobody had ever seen a golfer playing from a buggy like Terry did, and so it was new to everyone. Terry had to explain that he would need to take the buggy all over the course and that it would do no damage to the greens or any other part of the golf course for that matter. The club was soon on side and the sight of Terry riding down the fairway and playing a few holes became commonplace. He was learning the game again and loving every minute. Although most golf courses were fine, some, unfortunately, well, they were less than helpful. By then, Terry was a member at Tapton Park Golf Club in Chesterfield, and it was on an away day that he found the lack of understanding and discriminatory practices hard to fathom. After being grilled and asked to demonstrate how his buggy worked, Terry was told that he could go play. But the acceptance of Terry and his buggy came with conditions. So I said, all right, yes, you can go out and play, um, but we'd like you to sign this waiver that if anything happens to you on the golf course, we're not going to be held responsible. And if you cause any damage to our greens, we'll be looking to you for the cost of repairing the greens. (gasps) The club sent members of their green staff out to watch Terry play and make sure that no damage was done. And I actually did write a letter to the, to the course when I got back, saying how disappointed I was at the, the reception I'd got. And did they treat their able-bodied patrons the same as me? Did they ask them to sign a waiver if they were going on the golf course? Were they looking for reimbursement from them? If they damage the green. Thankfully today, at almost all golf clubs, this attitude is a thing of the past. Golfers with a disability are considered to be simply just another golfer. That's how it should be. Now a former captain of Tapton Park Golf Club, the first seated player ever to hold such a position in England, Terry can look at the world of golf from both the organisational and the playing perspective. I played three sports for Great Britain. But I used to play sle- ice sledge hockey for Great Britain. Uh, and I competed in two world championships with horse driving trials. So, uh, you know, and in the able, I used to compete against and with able-bodied uh, in my horse driving trial. When I was playing with other disabled people with, with the, the sledge jockey, we, we were all of the same mindset. We were all disabled and we'd get out there and, and just rough it up playing, doing, doing the ice hockey. When I'm out playing with able-bodied in competitions or whatever, after the initial surprise that when I rock up in a buggy, that I don't step off the buggy and go and hit the ball, but I, I just drive up and hit the ball. After that, there's no difference. Get behind the sometimes gruff exterior of Terry Kirby and you find a man that's true to his roots. He has a strong sense of regional identity, occasionally can be argumentative, frequently stubborn, but he has a purpose. 
He wants more people who have found themselves in a wheelchair to be able to play golf. He realises that everyone is unique. That is what makes the world go around. And he's also conscious that people can react very differently. It affects people in different ways. Um, I don't think anybody knows what they're going to, to do or feel like when it happens to them. You, you don't know until it happens and you don't realise um, until it does what what you're actually actually capable of. Your emotions are all over the place. And all you've got to do is, is step back from um, your emotions and just look at it and think, right, I've, I've, I've lost the use of my legs. I'm still here. I've still got family. I've still got friends. Um, what? And then you, you think, well, how am I going to do this? I, I can't do that. There is always the support network in whatever you want to do with your physios, the, the doctors, the nurses, everything. There are ways around everything to put you back into being a, a sort of as normal a life as possible. My life now, I feel, is better than it would have been if I hadn't had the tumour. I've done more things in my life since I became disabled than I ever dreamed I would do. If I was still being a lorry driver back in Hull, well, how could I have competed in three different sports from a country? How could I have travelled the world playing a sport that I love to an international standard, meet extraordinary people? It's not the end of the world, it's not the end of your life. In many ways, it's the beginning. It's just a new chapter. Since I've been in the wheelchair, I have had a ball. That's what I say to people I've had about. I think that there are so many opportunities now to do things and it's not it's not the end of life, it's the beginning and just plough forward, plough forward. My sincere thanks to our partners, Ping Golf, who have made this podcast possible. Ping help golfers around the world to play their best. For more information about Edgar, please visit edgargolf.com and stay tuned for the next Tough Love and Second Chances podcast.